Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. All right team, welcome back to the podcast. We got an incredible guest with us here today, Mark Richards, a longtime friend and really one of my first mentors professionally uh, in the armies where it kind of kicked off there is joining us today. And I'm going to give you a quick bio on him, but first of all, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Mark's just somebody who's got not only a in, uh, an immense amount of knowledge on the leadership and development stuff, but is also just a natural in the way he delivers this this stuff. And I think from my early days, even at West Point, learning from him, it was something that I think resonated very quickly. But let me give you a quick background on Mark Richards, and then we're just going to get right into it. So as I mentioned, world-class experts in all things leadership and development, former Blackhawk pilot, and I say former, but you may have maybe still flying them around and I have no idea, but former no, Blackhawk not that pilot, lucky anymore, but yeah, you do. <laughs> well, maybe one of these days we can commandeer a helicopter and go take a ride somewhere, but multiple tier tours in combat from Afghanistan to Iraq. Um, somebody who's been incredibly educated in leadership and development with graduate degrees from Columbia, and then spent over a decade after time in uniform uh, leading and helping lead Fortune 100 companies in all things leadership and development, which has been an incredible asset to have somebody who's come from such a tribal learning thing that we call the military and be able to bring that framework and bring that essence into, into the civilian workplace. Continues to be faculty at Command and Staff College, and for our listeners who don't know what that is, that is a very senior level executive for military top folks that go learn everything from doctrine to decision making, critical thinking, and again, just really how they up their ante on leadership. And then as I mentioned at the beginning of this thing, was in a earlier life a West Point uh, tactical officer. I'll give a quick little description of what that is because that's where it's been, was initially impactful for me and for so many folks. So West Point trains uh, and, and curates a group of folks that will become the future leaders, uh, junior leaders in the U.S. Army, and then go on to hopefully rise to the ranks. But through that nurturing, through that experience, those four years there at West Point, they hand-select senior officers from the military to come back into West Point to essentially be a direct mentor to 150 to 200 you know, cadets. The reason this is a really incredible experience, unlike any other private institution or out there, is that you have somebody who is not only senior, but literally has sat in your shoes and has proven themselves and has hand-selected to come back and be somebody who now you get to learn from, keep you accountable, and move forward. It would be the equivalent of like, uh, going through an MBA program and having Elon Musk hang out with you for, you know, for four years, you know, answering any questions you have before you actually go start and run your business. So just an incredible experience. Stoked to have you. Looking forward to catching up. Thanks, Joe. Looking forward to it. All right. So there's so many things we could start with, but I think one of the things that when we had shared and huddled on before, just in the way you think about leadership and development when you talk to civilian companies, one of the things that I've heard you bring from the service into teaching folks about even how they think about leading their organizations and teams is a thing called commander's intent. Mm-hmm. Can you describe a little bit of what that means from even a military context? And then how are you using that in your day-to-day with helping folks be better versions in the civilian world? Yeah, absolutely. So again, context setting, right? For those that um, haven't had any exposure to the military, 
um, at least from the Army and the other services do it too. But in the Army, um, anytime we do any mission, activity, or training event, there's a, a plan that's written, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a standardized plan. Everybody understands where information is, and it also helps provide context, not only about what, we're, what we have to do, why we have to do it, and then the details that are surrounding that. Now, the commander or leader in the organization is a pivotal member of any plan that's going on, right? They've got a team that's putting all that stuff together, but in the orders production process or even in the planning process, the commander or the leader is influential in providing guidance, right? And that's no different than anywhere in the civilian world or the, the, the you know job market is the leader is responsible for providing guidance for the team so that they can be successful. So within the structure of this plan, there's a mission statement, right? And we call it the five W's of who, what, where, when, and why. And that's kind of the, the quick bullet statement of what we've got to do. But immediately following, like, this is what we have to do. Here are three key things that you need to know about why we're doing this, right? From the grand scheme of like, how does this fit in? And why is it important? And why are we spending time and energy on it? So you got to provide a purpose. There's key tasks, meaning... Um, you know, it has to be done by a certain time. It has to be coordinated with certain elements. It needs to have so many constraints, restrictions, or, you know, uh, considerations into what you're doing. And then finally, here's how the leader is defining what success looks like. How do we know we have made it? How do we know we are done? How do I know what the destination is for what we're trying to do for all of us to be in agreement about this is what success is? So when I made the transition to corporate America, Guidance was often a scavenger hunt for a rock. And it's a metaphor I use from the standpoint of like, and, and maybe you can relate to this, but like, hey, go get me a rock. Mm -hmm. Hey, no problem. I go back and I bring a leader a rock and they're like, needs to be bigger. So I'll go back out and I find a bigger rock. Ah, it needs to be red, right? Go back out and find a red rock, right? So it comes to the point where you just become an order taker. You're not actually exercising any discretionary thinking or problem solving. And the leader's probably getting frustrated, be like, why didn't you bring me the rock I wanted in the first place? But the leader doesn't recognize that you're at the source of the problem. You're not engaging your team effectively, and you're not spending time thinking about what is it you actually need them to do. Now, there's a difference here. You're not, the leader shouldn't be telling them, this is how I want you to do it. You need to provide enough parameters to say these are the key elements for you to go figure out how to do it. And if you get stumped, come back and ask me. So it's called commander's intent, purpose, key tasks, and end state, right? Can't be too verbose, but it requires the leader to spend some time in a quiet room with a whiteboard potentially and say, okay, this is our task as the team that I'm about to tell everybody about. This is why we need to do it. I want to make sure this is the deadline. This is the budget. And these are the key people in the organization I want to make sure that they reach out to and talk to and bring into this project. And I know we'll be successful when it looks like this. It can provide this capability. Um, it reaches this many people. Whatever the success criteria you want to put on there without it being 15 bullets long, right? Here are probably two or three things that I want to make sure we're measuring and this is what success is so we're all in agreement. A leader can spend five minutes doing that they can then release the creative problem-solving capabilities of their team and enable them to feel like I've got some ownership now, 
And that when I bring back a rock, I already know I had to talk to this person. I only spent this much on it. I got it to you in this amount of time and it can do these things. Great. That's not the rock I had envisioned, but that rock works for what we need to do. Why that do makes sense. Think, no, it does. I'm wondering like, why do you think it's such a simple and eloquent process? You describe it. It's one of those things. It's, it's, it sounds as, you know, as elementary as, as you can get when you think about, yeah, all those things work in concert together. Why do you think so many leaders screwed up though? Or managers screwed up? I'm always cautious to use the two words because I think leaders are understanding what that process is. Why is it getting messed up so much or just completely neglected? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's willful screwing it up. I think there is an aspect of it's never been taught, right? So as an individual starting off in a corporate environment, if I've never had a boss that's done that, or I've never been in a leadership program that has taught it, or I'm within a culture that doesn't value it, then what gets rewarded is... Um, the perception, and I say this because I think there's a lot of very intelligent people that can do very creative problem solving things, and they just happen to stumble upon the right answer, and that worked for the boss, or they do a really good job selling the idea that they came up with, and their boss is like, great, I don't have to do any work, I like that, and I can sell it to, to my boss, right? So I, I, I'm not sure it's necessarily you know, willful ignorance or incompetence upon the leader. It's just, it, they never learned it. It was never valued and it was never something that they had to do or received from their boss in order for them to be successful. So it's kind of hard to give somebody something that you've never received. Probably ends up happening is you find folks who do have that. That's probably where those tornadoes and those storms hit where folks who are used to getting that. And then folks who have never had that now kind of come to collide. You talk about putting the work into as leaders, and I think that's something that's that's critically important, you know, that it does require the person at the helm to sit with it and put the work in and kind of dissect that a little bit. That is oftentimes something that I can tell it's probably like stretching before a run. You just, yeah, I don't have time for it. I'm just going to go for a run, right? And then you hurt yourself, right? I mean, is that that's something have you seen over and over again there, in, whether it's civilian workplace or even in the military? Yeah. Uh, so again, I, you know, I think I'll preface anything I say is like my experience or my perspective, right? Like I obviously have not worked in every company. I've not, you know, been on the planet for 300 years to see everything, but in my experience, what I've noticed in most organizations, there is a bias for action, mm -hmm. right? So the busier you are, the more you produce, the, the faster you answer an email, the earlier you get to a deadline, the, the busier your slide is, like the more, you know, spreadsheet pivot tables you can make, you're, you're making a physical manifestation of effort, right? And that's super valuable. That's, we, we reward it, right? What we don't necessarily reward is I need to take some think time, <laughs> you know? And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in the course of what a leader is doing, Um but it isn't valued as much. Now, what I will say is it's really interesting, probably over the last, gosh, I don't know what, 10, 15 years now, right? A lot of conversation around engagement, mm -hmm. right? We've, you know, I've, I've been in multiple organizations that have utilized um, Gallup's Q12. We've looked at it, right? Give it to the leader, get your engagement up. Like, so they have conversations, hey, what would make you more engaged at work? And, and oftentimes, I, you know, I think people are like, well, I, 
I, I would love to have more interesting work, you know, and like that's the art, like we don't get to tailor make the work we have to do oftentimes, right? The sausage has got to get made and today you got to make sausage. But what's interesting enough, in my opinion, if a leader is able to actually give guidance and say, I trust you to go forth and now figure out how to do this, as long as you operate within my guidance, you're more engaged because I get to go figure out how I want to do that. And I know my parameters, right? People get disengaged when they have to do the rock drill. Here's a rock. No, go get this one. Here's a rock. No, go make this change. Go. No, here's a right. The back and forth thing was like, would you just tell me what you want? I'll go make whatever it is you want. Just tell me what it is and I'll go do it because I'm sick of this. Right. And so then there's this whole cycle. Like I don't have any people that take initiative and I have nobody that's a creative problem solver. Right. Well, the leader, if you set the conditions, you're going to have people more engaged because you say, go forth and do great things. Let me know if you have any problems because I gave you good guidance. So, you know, and, and I've seen teams that run that way where it's just like here and, and then you can share that guidance with other people. Well, here's our constraints or here's the parameters. Well, here are the people we need to make sure we bring in. Here's the deadline. No, 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 no. That doesn't meet the success criteria, right? It has to be able to do this, this and this. So we're off track. Let's get back on track, right? It's a way to ground people in the work, too, and make sure that the people you're collaborating with, you're now articulating the message from your leader, Right. So there's just an aspect of if the leader can just take some time. And the thing is, too, oftentimes leaders feel like they have to be in a vacuum and create the guidance themselves. I tell you, the best guidance I've ever had to come up with is usually sitting down with a buddy and a beer. I'm like, I've got this project and I'm trying to think through what are my key tasks and what's my end state. And nine times out of 10, they always have something I didn't see, or they just have a better idea and to bring that in. But oftentimes leaders are like, well, I'm in charge and I'm the person that has to make sure I think of all the details when you don't, right? And obviously more, the more complex the project and more complex the guidance, more than likely you need to bring in other people or other voices or other considerations, you know? So no, those are just so, a couple of thoughts. No, it's so on point. And I think, as you mentioned, there is that, hey, this is my responsibility, so I have to go figure these out. In, but you're p completely putting at risk the idea that you are either going to come up with something that's not well thought out or with, with a ton of blind spots in it. I think you mentioned something there that, that really uh, resonates you know, with how um, leaders should also think about the way that rock comes back. I think it's also releasing extreme ownership of that, you know, of being the, of what they envisioned it needing to be. And instead, would you agree that it needs to, or disagree with the fact that it probably needs to just be more obsessed with the the winning part. Does it accomplish the thing that I asked it to do? That's very difficult, isn't it? Like I find that leaders, even when they do send their folks out, there's always these undertones of, yeah, but it's not exactly how I would have done it. Yeah. And that's something we have to let go of, right? And at the end of the day, if it's not good, well, then there was a flaw in the guidance potentially, yeah. right? Like, well, then there was a success criteria component or a key task component that you, there was omitted that they didn't know, right? When I was dating my wife, I said, one thing, if we're going to get married and make this work, you have to understand from day one, I am not a mind reader. As long as you understand and accept that from day one, we're going to be along fine. But the most frustrating thing is like, well, why didn't you anticipate the need, right? That's a euphemism for you needed to read my mind, right? Now, the other thing though, is that you brought up too is sometimes like, okay, I gave you my guidance, 
and no variable will change between now and delivery. And we all know that that's not true. We We all know budgets change, priorities change, resources change, customer demands change, right? And that's a that's a just an, a natural situation, but that doesn't alleviate the responsibility of the leader to ensure that you've set the course on the right direction. As as Joe mentioned, I used to fly Blackhawks, and there was this this really cool concept that I think applies still to this day as a metaphor. It's called the one degree rule. So if you think about your 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 aircraft is starting off on a course of due north, um, right? Um, but unfortunately, you started off one degree off course. Well, after flying for 60 minutes, you'll be a mile from your destination. Wow. All because you were off course by one degree for an hour. So that's very similar. So the guidance from a leader, commander's intent, right, is so important to help people stay closer to being on course. And as winds change, as conditions change, whatever, fine, we'll course correct. But that's so much better than just starting off like, okay, here, right? And now what's your nest idea or now, you know, like the other phrase that always (laughs) drives me crazy is I need something to react to, right? Let's make a draft deck and we'll give it to the boss and see how they react, you know, or give me something now, let me react to it. That's a crutch for not doing commander's intent or guidance at the outset. Because now I've got something to be like, oh, yeah, that's right or that's wrong. And I, and I think the challenge, too, for leaders is, man, sometimes I don't have that clarity of what success looks like. Right? Well, maybe just be honest with the team and say that. It's right? So Instead of saying that can be, right? Right? Like, it's just powerful. say, hey, this is a task we have to do. I'm not entirely sure what success looks like. However, I want to start movement in this general direction. Right. And I want to make sure we bring these people into it. Let's at least start moving in that direction as opposed to give me something to react to. Cause what that, that's a stalling technique. Yeah. It's so also, that's a, that's a chase in the rock in the, in the worst way possible. How do you, now you're not, you're like, go find, you're not even saying go find me a rock at that point. You're just like, go find me something. And I'll tell you if it's something. Yeah. Like bring it. me back something from your walkabout and, <laughs> and I'll let you know if like, I think that's in the right thing. You're yeah. right. No, it couldn't be the, it couldn't be worse. Do you find that um, when, as, as one is adopting, you know, this idea of, of commander's intent and being able to be mindful about it, and it just, it sounds like overall, it's like leaders bringing intentionality to what they're asking their organizations to do to ultimately deliver what? Have you thought about a little bit what that looks like? How often is it okay to revisit? And then how would you reissue that guidance, you know, without seeming wishy-washy, if that makes sense? Uh, you know, you know, pulling again from the military, and there's a phrase that, you know, has probably been used by everybody, but I think it's just because it's so true is no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Yep. Right. And even Eisenhower said, right, the plan is nothing. The planning is everything. And w- the essence of Eisenhower's comment is the conversation, the critical thinking, the analysis, the review, so that you're kind of aware of everything. You know, plan survives first contact with the enemy because, like I said, things change, right? The world is dynamic. But, um, you know, the the aspect of just um, here's what I know, right? And here's where I think we need to be going and what success looks like. 
And oh, by the way, it's probably going to change. Sometimes it's just a matter of managing expectations, mm. you know, yeah. and I, and I think leaders sometimes are concerned that they either have to have all the answers or um, they don't want to share that they don't know something. Right. And being humble also means, Hey, this is, this is what I've got so far, you know? Um, so you know, those, those things are, I don't know, it's about human nature and about creating an environment where people can talk without you feeling like, you know, you're relinquishing your authority because you don't have an answer. Um, now, you can't do that all the time, right? Because then like, well, why are you in charge? If you don't have an answer. If you don't have guidance, if you can't provide any resources for me, then, then what are you even doing here? Like, why are you even in charge and leading? Um, but the leader also is you know, not always, doesn't always have to be the smartest person in the room. It's helpful. Yes. It's, you know, but if then you end up doing everything your way and you end up burning yourself out and you end up having order takers and not creative teammates. That's the art behind the entire act of, of being a great leader. And, and that this whole art that we call leadership, you know, it sounds that also, a, you know, a big thing about what I've found the most incredible leaders to always have just a nat, either a natural knack and potentially even, you know, some investment in being good at is listening. You know, their ability mm -hmm. to take in information is so much more powerful than to be able to issue, but they are issuing guidance, right? They're issuing intent, but they've done an immense job at listening. Do you find that it is a, do you find that it seems to be a, unnecessary requirement that most folks who are put into management positions think they have to be the one that is talking the most or, you know, is having to come up with the, the decisions and the act of listening is something that doesn't seem as natural. Do you find that that is something that kind of throws things off here in, in the ways that leaders operate? I, I do. And, you know, when you use the word manager, right, like I conjure up my, my own feelings of being in a similar situation where you are a firefighter. Mm -hmm. Right. Your job is to put out fires all day. Right. Something broke. Something doesn't work. This changed. We need this information. Make a decision on this. Right. And so you're in a whack-a-mole kind of environment where senior leaders are asking information. Your team is, you know, lacking something to be able to do their job. And you're kind of in this pressure cooker of, you know, trying to answer the mail. Right. Having this action bias right? And getting all these things done. And it's very easy to um, hear a third of what's being said, formulating an answer, waiting for somebody to take a breath, and then delivering guidance, or delivering an answer, or delivering a directive, right? And moving on to the next whack-a-mole. Yeah. Um, somebody shared with me, you know, I don't, I don't have the source for this, so I don't know how um, scientifically based this is, but I like it anyhow, because I feel like it's true is, that we, we speak at about 150 to 180 words a minute, but our brains process six to 700 words a minute. So as soon as somebody is bringing a problem to me or is, um, you know, giving me guidance or something, I'm filling in the blanks, right? Or I'm like, all right, I've already done that. And this is what it is, right? And so all already your attention is divided and things get missed. And it's interesting, right? That we, the leader thinks that they're being perfectly clear. I gave good guidance. People gave me a thumbs up at the end of the meeting. I saw them taking notes and we come back a week later and they're off on a whole different thing. 
17 miles off target. <laughs> on a, right. They're not even one mile. They're like way. And it's like, I gave you guidance. I asked you if you had any questions. You said you had it. What in the hell was the breakdown? Yeah. And it's the difference between that 150 and 600 is we didn't necessarily connect the dots to be able to check in and say, okay, so what did you hear me say? the task and purpose is? What did you hear me say the three key tasks were? What did you hear me say is success for this project, right? And in the military, we call it a back brief. And it's to ensure that what was communicated and transmitted, while is 100% to the sender, isn't necessarily always 100% received by the other person or the other party. But we assume that, well, I was very clear. You were clear if you were talking to a clone you can't assume that you were clear to somebody else. And listening is a really difficult thing, right? From a standpoint, not only of um, listening to what's being said, but listening to what other people are telling you. Um, and it's probably and, a way to like, it, when you're, and it's, it's to know most of the time, it's not because there's any uh, mal nature about why folks yeah. are listening correctly. Everybody feels gaps in differently. And so right. to your point, their style of filling in gaps in that, $500, you know, 500 word difference there is all the thing that makes it different. And so I imagine that every back brief you've ever received, none of them ever came back perfectly the way you said it, right? Well, and even back briefs I've given to my boss, I've yeah. been wrong, right? right? And again, it wasn't malicious intent. Um, and hopefully it's not because my boss thought I was stupid, right? It was just the fact that um, I was also thinking about, oh my gosh, I've got this other thing I've got to do. Right. We've all been there where the mind wanders to like the other, like, you know, critical thing that I've got to do. Okay. Bring my attention back to what we're talking about. And I missed something there. Right. It happens. Right. Or a text comes in or, or whatever. Our, our attention gets divided. So we need to make sure that at the end of a one on one, at the end of a team meeting, at the end of a project launch. Okay. What are you tracking? What are you tracking? What are you tracking? Right. And not just getting the affirmative. Okay. Everybody understands who says no, nobody says no. Right. One, I want the meeting to be over and two, I don't want to look stupid. So you can't, you can't give the, the closed ended question. Right. And it's not about putting somebody on the spot and making them feel stupid, like stump the chump, like, all right, Joe, right. What's the deadline, right? Like that's now you're shaming yeah. right now. It's just like, all right, Hey, I just want to check and make sure we're all on the same page. So what's the budget constraint? What's the deadline? Who do I want you to coordinate with? What's our first milestone? Okay. Those are the first things that we need to make sure we're all clear on. Great. So, you know, you can say the same thing and say it two different ways and have it mean something completely different, right? Absolutely. All based on your tone and your delivery. So the listening aspect is, um, I was really glad um, that I, I found this through a friend of mine is a listening assessment. It's called the echo listening assessment. And what I love about it is because, um, we, we're taught a lot of things related to communication. So we're, we're taught to read, right, from a very young age, um, hopefully. We're taught to write in school. Oftentimes we get to college or, you know, a business setting and we're taught to make presentations. But the key element that we're never taught is listening. We think it's just a biological thing. Hearing is biological, is. but listening is cognitive, and we're never taught to understand what goes into it, what my cognitive biases are when it comes to listening. And this echo listening assessment helps me understand I may have a preference for people 
my own experiences, data and analytics, or big ideas, and maybe some combination in there. But if I'm an analytical listener and you're talking about the team, I'm probably tuning out, yeah. right? Conversely, if I'm a big ideas person and you're talking about the budget, I probably don't care, right? And so we're tuning out. And so we're automatically missing these big chunks that we have to make sure people understand. And we're tuning out, right? When people are briefing us their status report, great, I'm looking at all the numbers, right? But they have this idea of how they want to get there in the future. And you're like, as long as your numbers look good, whatever, you know? So we need to do some work on our ability to stop and not wait to respond, right? We're just, we're on pause waiting for the other person to take a breath before we jump in there. And, that, and that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to break. And there's cultural implications with that, right? Not everybody is socialized this way. Right. If you go to New York and you're not in an angry, heated exchange, then you're not engaged in the conversation. That's right. You know, care about what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like people are like, why aren't you weighing in? Why don't you care? It's like, well, I'm just waiting for you to finish your sentence. Like, that's not how we play the game here. Yeah, that's right. You know, but there's an aspect of listening that can still happen. So anyhow, there's just a lot that goes into that, that I think we just we don't take any consideration because we were taught to read. We were taught to write. We were taught to present and talk. Nobody ever really taught us how to listen, though. No, it's so it, it's a such a critical point. When you think about those tenets you described from big picture all the way to analytical, is the idea behind those kinds of assessments to not only make you aware of the things that you tune out or you don't listen in for, but also for you to get better at those other things or just to recognize the fact that these are things you're going to have to ask about again or make sure that you have somebody who can cover down on those gaps that you knowingly know that you're not going to digest? Uh, you know, it's, it's a good question. And I, and I, I just found myself thinking of a response and not fully listening to the question you're asking because I'm like, oh man, I don't even know how to answer this. And right. And, and I think my, my gut reaction is like both. Yeah. Right. We as a leader can't be everything in all things. Right. So how does, how does the team complement each other? How do you create a culture of balance? Um, and there is a similarity bias that we experience. Like oftentimes we want to hire people on our team that are like us, right. that we share similar interests or have similar experiences or enjoy the same things. And sometimes the challenge is, is recognizing like, well, we haven't balanced out what our shortcomings are. Um, the nice thing about the echo is you can get a group um, a grid if everybody in the room, you know, takes the assessment on a leadership team. And if you have, and this, this is something I've seen with actual leadership teams, a lot of people listeners, a lot of brainstorming listeners, and one analytical listener. And oftentimes the analytical listener is who? CFO. The CFO. <laughs> right? Yep. The CFO is always listening for how much ROI, right? What bucket of money are you going to pull that from? What are the tax implications, right? All these different things. And when the CFO chimes in, depending on the leadership group, they're getting viewed as, well, you're just trying to shoot down the idea, right? Yeah, you're, you're bringing down the party. You're here. bringing down, like we're, we're trying to be innovative. We're trying to be creative. We're trying to think of the future and we've got to spend in order to do those things. And so they get minimized, Right. And unless that CFO has a phenomenal reputation or has a very strong capacity for sales, 
right? Their, their perspective and their opinion is going to be continually shut out because we're trying to include the team from a people standpoint, and we're trying to think of the future and get all excited about the possibilities and potential. And the one analytical voice is trying to keep people crawl back into reality of the implications of their decisions. So that person over time may become completely disengaged or may leave because they are not being heard, right? And so when we look at this, this breakdown of our team and we recognize that we have an outlier, how do you feel in our team meetings? I feel like my opinions don't matter. I feel like you guys are just blowing past me and you're so focused on this or that. And, and the things and the comments that I bring up are just pushed off to the side. Yeah, right? Because the majority is in these two different buckets and somebody's not being heard. And until we shine a light on that, and it's not, in, it's not like you said, malicious, right? Hopefully right. it's not malicious. But what we don't ask is we don't create that space to say, do you feel like you're being heard in this meeting? Right? Yeah. Um, and that's a difficult thing because now we're dealing with the touchy-feely stuff instead of like, well, we got a full agenda and we've got stuff we've got to get to. And hey, let's go like quick and dirty and let's get it done because we got, you know, an hour and a half worth of stuff in an hour long meeting. So we got to get busy. We got to take time out to also figure out how do we work in an effective way as a team so that one hour we're able to get 90 minutes worth of work done. No, it's a, it's a thing that the, the act, I have found that teams that at least strive for the act of reflection time and taking that moment to understand, forget about the content of the meeting, but the, what is actually occurring with the people and how folks are digesting or not goes a long way. To your point, I know you had mentioned that, you know, speaking of being burned out and, and folks just like, hey, let's just get through this stuff or whatever. One of the topics that I hear you know, kind of shifting gears a little bit, but I think it pertains into the listening side of things um, or not listening, which is, you know, a big push right now in mental health, right? With folks in business and thinking through how do we be more, how do we be more invested in it? How do we better understand these are humans, right? It's funny that it took us so long for us to destigmatize this stuff and it's still a work in process. Um, but what I found I think there was a term uh, when everybody was adopting green initiatives. I think they call it greenwashing, which is just like everybody said the right stuff, but the reality of it is they were just trying to get through it, right? Similar to a meeting. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The numbers are important. You know, we'll get, well, let's do another meeting, you know, async on budget, but we didn't want to talk about it right now. And so I feel that way is occurring with mental health a little bit. And leaders I know have to think about these things. So just would love to get your perspective on what do those things mean? Why is it really important? Like if a leader was sitting here right now, why the ones that are just saying the right stuff, but not really giving a hoot about it, what do they need to hear to be like, this is why this stuff is important. Man, I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, and it, it, it's such a big topic. So there's a lot of different things that we could go on. So like, let, let me just start with like why it's important to me. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I think that's just an important place to start with. Um, so I just I don't feel like I'm parroting, you know, the the greenwashing of of mental health, right? So, um, two years ago, two and a half years ago now, um, I was facilitating a, a workshop with a couple other friends, and and what I had what I think is my first like anxiety attack, and was just like, Oh my God, like what I'm having a heart attack or like, what is going on? Right. This mm -hmm. is this, this. Um, and there was just a, like a pinnacle of stress in my life at that point. Um, and realized that I, I was having suicidal thoughts. 
Um, and it was super, super disturbing. And it wasn't the first time it had happened, but I had been able to rub dirt on it and get back in the game, you know, and suppress it and not talk about it and just say, you know, this is what everybody thinks about. And, um, and it got to a point where, um, like I need to do something about it or it was going to be a terminal situation. And so thankfully my primary care physician is a friend of mine and, and basically texted him, I'm having suicidal thoughts. And he left his meeting and he immediately called me and we on the phone for an hour. And, and the most simple thing he did was normalize my situation by saying, Mark, you've been to two different combat deployments. You've survived cancer and you have a family history of mental health. Of course you're feeling this way. Let's do something about it. And not that I'm trying to compare it to alcoholism, but depression, chronic depression, there's never a, it's not, you can't tell somebody, Hey, just like, get over it. Hey, you know, you're focusing on the negative stuff, focus on the positive stuff, right? Like you can't just do that. There's not a day that goes by that. I don't have depression. There are just days that I am better at managing it and, and I'm feeling better. Right. And the voices are a little bit softer, but there are other days that I can't control it. There's a great video that the, the World Health Organization put out that I, I recommend everybody to better understand depression, right? People can understand an illness. I'm sneezing, I'm coughing, I look terrible, right? I'm throwing up in the toilet. People can understand a broken bone, right? People can understand a cut or a laceration, something they can see or that they have experienced themselves, right? Having a migraine and talking to somebody else who has a migraine, they say, go home. Don't even yeah, be at the get office, it. like yep. get like, don't even be here. Right. Somebody else is like, well, here's some ibuprofen, you know, I'll, you know, shake it off, take an hour. And it's like, no, you don't understand. So depression is very similar because if you've never experienced it or you equate it to being in a bad mood, that's not what it is. So the WHO put it this um, cartoon called depression is like a black dog. And it basically helps you basically understand that everywhere you go, you have a dog that is with you. And oftentimes the dog is on your back or is gnawing at your ankle or is doing these things that while I'm engaged in conversation, right, there's all these other things that are happening. And I think that just helps people understand it from an appreciation standpoint. Connecting it to what you had said, like, why should leaders, you know, give a crap about it or how should they not just greenwash it, right? Um, a lot more people are suffering from mental health problems than you're aware. And you can't just cover it up with, let's focus on the task, let's focus on the mission, right? Satisfaction and, and, and um, reassurance will come through task accomplishment, right? However you manage your stress, however you manage whatever mental health challenges you're dealing with, isn't how everybody else is going to deal with it. Now, as a leader, you can't go and make 300 different conversations and 300 different accommodations. And like, you'll never get anything done. But at the end of the day, how do you know what people are experiencing? So I struggled with that from my own personal standpoint. But then I said, I need to do something as a leader for my team to put this into practice and not just say, you know, yeah, Harvard Business Review published 15 articles last year on mental health alone, and they're interesting and everybody's got advice, but from a practical standpoint, how do I, 
how do I do that on the regular? How do I systematize it? How do I make it part of my leadership practice? And so what I changed was my one-on-ones format. So I, I meet with each member of my team once a week for an hour. And I, the Army has taught me to like acronyms. It's a way for my tiny brain to keep as much stuff in there as I possibly can. And so acronyms kind of help compress me do that. Compress the so, file, yeah. Comp- exactly. I got to compress the file so I can remember all this stuff. As the older I get, I feel like my, my compression capability is fewer and fewer. But anyhow, <laughs> so my one-on-one structure uses two acronyms, PIES and PACE. And the first, we'll call it 15 minutes, is pies. How are you doing physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually? They choose how much they want to disclose, how much they want to share, or if they're even in a place where they want to even talk about that stuff. But I want to create space for another reason. There's been plenty of times where I've done something stupid at the gym and I threw my back out. And I'm at work and I'm doing my best to be present that day. But every call I'm on, right, I've got shooting pain down my back. Hey, Mark, how are you doing physically? I am in so much pain. You have absolutely no idea. Oh, my God. All right. What's going on? What happened? What do you need? Well, hey, don't come to that meeting. Hey, make sure you're sitting down on this meeting. Like if you got to lay down, just turn your camera off. They would have never have done that if I didn't potentially give them permission sometimes or to understand or to have empathy, right? Intellectually, I'm confused. I'm super excited. I'm, I'm stimulated by this problem I'm solving. Great. Is there anything I can do to help, right? How can I clear something up? Can I share in the excitement that you're having? Same thing emotionally, you know, I'm super pissed off that this meeting went that way, or I'm really actually feeling really great about um, you know, my kid gave me a high five when he went to school today and I'm just still riding that high. Awesome. Like, thanks for, that's great. Right. Spiritually it doesn't have to be a religious connotation. Right. I mean, there have been times where I've gone to a sermon. And I'm like, man, that I needed to hear that this week. Like that was a message and I want to share it with you. Or even I went for a phenomenal hike and I watched sunset, you know, or I went to yoga or I meditated or, um, I sat and I read A spiritual practice means how are we tending to our soul? And that looks different for everybody. But why not be, why not create an inclusive space where people can share with you, you know, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing at, are you at peace? Are you not at peace? Are you, are all these other things putting you in a place of despair? Because if I can hear it, I can empathize with it. I can celebrate it. I can also be there and check in on them. So I came to an agreement with my boss after I made her watch that black dog video. I was like, I'm just going to let you know there's some days where we're say hi in the morning and I'm just going to let you know it's a black dog day. Mm. It doesn't mean I'm not engaged. It doesn't mean I'm going to you know, pull my punches. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do my work. You just need to know I'm struggling today. You know, like it's a rough day for whatever reason it is. That's what it is. And she just appreciated that. Like, okay, thanks. I'm going to come check in on you at lunch. Awesome. Thanks for How being you doing? human, right? Yeah. Just being human, right? right? So first 15 minutes is pies. How you doing physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually? Hey, you know what? Now let's get into the work. So pace is what projects are you working on? What are the actions you're going to take this week specifically? What are the complications you feel you're going to face? And then what are the expectations of me to be able to help support you? I've got this, 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 and this. 
I can't make them all the number one priority. What's the number one priority? Yeah, I'm great. I'm glad you said that. What do you think it is? I think it's this. Totally agree. Why don't you go with that? Yeah. Hey, these are the actions I'm taking this week. Hey, looking at last week, is this one still open? Great. Okay, put that on your task list for this week. We need to wrap that up, you know, this week. All right, what who do I need to talk to that is cogging up the machine that can I can help you get something done? Can you go talk to so and so because I can't get I can't do my job till I get this. That's my job. Let me resource you for success, right? The other thing I do, and this is just a very, very tactical thing, is we have a shared Excel spreadsheet. So we are taking notes on the one-on-one -on -one together. So coming back to that listening thing, we may have had a similar conversation and I, she, you know, they leave the room and I'm like, okay, I told them these four things and they wrote down three of those things, but I never saw what they wrote down and they never saw what I wrote down. Well, why are we just being completely transparent on what the notes are and the action items, and we can both see the screen and we can access at any time. And if there's something you wanna talk about before our next one-on-one, -on -one, guess what? You can add Pop it as it a there. topic, put it on there. Now I can see, okay, good, you wanna talk about this. I'm ready for it. Hey, if there's things I've gotta remember during the week to bring up our next one-on-one, -on -one, I'm just gonna put it on there so you can see it. So I know we're, we're blending like tactical kind of things, but. The mental health thing is, is not just a one action thing. It's not just checking in with the individual. It's how am I also helping manage the stressful environment that work often can be, right? By doing those different kind of things. And also, you know, Joe, you, I mean, you taught me today, right? And your curiosity above judgment, right? When somebody says they're having a panic attack, what is, I don't understand that. What is that? What does that feel like to you? What does that look like? What brings that on? How can I help prevent those? You know, like I want to better understand what is it for you? Just because I met somebody over here that has panic attacks doesn't mean I necessarily know what it means for you. Yep. And it's too easy just to be like, okay, I, I, I know what this is and that must be what it is for you. Tell me about that. You know, what does that mean? What does that look like? How can I support you? Those kinds of things. Sometimes we feel like you could spend your whole hour talking about it, which you could. But you say, look, we're going to spend a little bit of time. If we need to spend more time, let's find a time where it works. But I'm always going to check in on you at least once a week. And you can share as much or as little as you want, depending on what kind of trust. But trust is a, hopefully a byproduct that comes out of these conversations. I had a woman who was a remote worker. And um, <laughs> I noticed when I took over all of our virtual meetings, she would never turn her camera on. And I never asked why, and I never asked her to, because she never did it. But two months later, after these weekly conversations, she started showing up with her camera on. And so I was just curious. I was like, hey, so what changed? She's just like, I just felt like I felt more comfortable doing it. Hmm. Right? And we just, it's like, you just felt like it made it a safe environment for me to Go actually know. Right. Because they're self-conscious about how they look. They're self-conscious about what's maybe in the surroundings or all those kinds of things. And it's like you've you've now like that was a small byproduct. But what other things have now I can share certain things or I'm concerned about things. So yeah, tell mental health is a big topic and we're all trying to figure out how do we do this? And I'm not also a licensed therapist. Right. So I'm not here to solve your problems, but it's not about solving problems. It's just about trying to create a space where people feel like they can be heard. Yeah. The, uh, it, you know, what I pull from what you're saying is the, 
the human aspect of running teams and all companies are all families are all anything is is a collection of very unique individuals right that you bring together and and have unique experiences and what i hear you saying i think this is something that's valuable for leaders is a lot of mental health i think as a leader especially as these what i would say these alpha leaders who are like cool what's the solve what's the piece of technology what is the budget line item we need to fix who do we need to hire do we need a wellness coach in here? How do we make this thing go, you know, go away? Right. And the reality of it is, is that it, it doesn't. It is as as existent and ubiquitous as air. And part of it sounds like what leaders can do is one, acknowledge it as a human being that this exists. And then two, just probably give space. I like what you've said, which is none of this is my responsibility to solve for you as a leader, but to open up those avenues for you to be a human being. Because, I mean, we all know that when we can teach ourselves to fish. That's how we really heal. But sometimes it's just, I need this day to go home or I did not end the day with my kids very well. I missed a practice. It would be really great if I could just pick them up from school today. And as humans, we should be able to give folks that space to, all the way up to, Hey, I'm seeing a therapist once a week. Right. And just giving folks space to be honest with you, as opposed to, I imagine there are, if folks are even fortunate enough to be lucky to go to that point of saying, I need help. They're probably not letting know their, their boss know. They're probably either trying to squeeze it in lunch or not letting folks know that they have to leave for that one hour a week and because they're afraid that you know the boss is going to say no or whatever the case might be. And I think those things are the things that I hear you talk about, which is just how do you be more human about this thing we call mental health instead of what is the silver bullet to solve it all? Right, right. Yeah. And there's some, I, I, I need to memorize this quote, but you know, it's like leadership's not about being in charge of people. It's taking care of the people in your charge. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and it's, it's hard to lose. It's easy to lose sight of that because of my wife and I have this running joke that life is a never ending to-do list. Your to-do list is never done personally or professionally. You take right. one off, you add three more on there. Right. And so at some point you just decide like I'm done answering emails or I, I'm not working on that project anymore. And so it's very easy to allow the people component when you're thinking about this finite amount of time to get this never ending to-do list done. And I get it. Right. I mean, there's some days where it's like, I don't have capacity to do that. Um, and then there's other days where I have to make capacity. And there's one thing I learned from a leader when I was in the army that I, I just really respected. So in an aviation unit, um, my team and my peers teams were all at the airfield, but our headquarters was on the other side of post, right? So it was a very, you know, mm -hmm. separated thing, which is like most companies, right? Yeah. Um, but every Friday, my boss would leave the office at noon and come down to the the hangars, the flight line for the remainder of the afternoon and go and check on each one of his subordinate commanders, wherever they were, because rarely were we flying on a Friday, you know, either in the office at the door closed or walking around on the flight line or whatever it was, but like, what's going on? How you doing? What are you struggling with? What's, who's pissing you off? Right. And, I could count on every Friday having a one-on-one -on -one impromptu yeah, and he was just checking in. Right. And there wasn't any, Hey, you didn't get this done. And where are you at with this? Like we had plenty of meetings that were that for, you know, checks and balances. This was literally, let me see you in your environment around your team. Let me see what your team's doing. Let me see how things are going. Let me see and feel how the vibe is. 
Um, and so anyhow, that was, I mean, that's kind of more of like a, you know, leadership by walking around, but there was an aspect, like, I'm going to go to my subordinates area. I'm going to go to their office. I don't have to go to his office. Yep. And I'm going to sit in your chair while you sit behind your desk and I'm just going to check in on you. And there's just this humility aspect, but also just a mechanism on how it is easy it is to check in with people. No, oh, it's such a easy way to eat. It's hard. It's very, it's simple. I should say not easy. It's a very, simple it is simple. Way. Yes, you're right. Hyper, you know, highly involved. Right. But it is a great way for leaders to, you build that culture and your folks have something to look forward to. It, it can be the difference on having a horrible morning. You didn't get the kids out on time. You and your wife had a run in or you stubbed your, you slammed the weights on your foot, you know, whatever it is, knowing that, you know what boss is coming by this afternoon. It kind of releases, there's like a little purge valve knowing that you get at least a moment to be honest with somebody who cares. And that hope alone is enough to get you going for a little bit longer as opposed to just imploding. Um, no, absolutely. I think there's such simple human ways for us to approach mental health. It doesn't need to be this enormous, you know, initiative. It can just be very grassrootsy and, and very honest. And so, I mean, heck, we should just do an entire, we will probably do an entire episode just based around that. But with the few well, minutes, I think Joe, just before we transition, I, I think of course. trying to think of your audience, right. And understanding like leader of leaders, right. Mm -hmm. So you're a leader of a leader who has direct reports, right. Well, you, you, yes, you can do that one-on-one -on -one with your directs, right. But what does the downtrace feel of that in the rest of the organization? This is in my opinion, where leadership development comes into play, right. You as a leader are modeling something, but are they then taking that to their teams to that next and level. expecting it of their leaders, right? So this is where you can almost tie it all the way back to commander's intent, right? We have a responsibility as an organization to take care of our people, take care of our customers and do good in the world, okay? So our task is to figure out how to make sure we take care of the mental health of our people. Why? It will help us have better relationships with our clients. It'll produce a better product. And more importantly, it'll just make sure we take care of our people who will ultimately our greatest resource. Key tasks, you need to find a mechanism on how to check in with people weekly that are your direct reports. You need to make sure you're not telling them what to do and you need to make sure that you're creating an open and trusting environment. Success will be when every leader who has direct reports checks in with their people once a week, right? You can use pies or you can use something else or we can standardize it across the company and make it part of our values. Yeah. Right. But the point being is this is where you can give guidance specifically about not just greenwashing mental health, but saying this is how one way we are going to work on it. We're not going to spend billions of dollars on wellness coaches and somebody that people can call in crisis. Those are good. But you ever notice the statistic on that? They are woefully underutilized, woefully underutilized, because last time I checked people that are in an open floor concept, where do they get the privacy to make a phone call like that? They don't, right? But hopefully I can go knock on my, my boss's door and be like, can we go get a cup of coffee this afternoon? Something like that, right? Or, hey, I noticed, right? If you have emotional intelligence, I noticed your energy's low today. How you doing, right? Well, I went five rounds with my 10-year-old daughter and she won this morning, right? I'm freaking blown out. So, Commander's intent can be not just something for a project. It can be like, we need to focus on mental health because it's important. These are the three things that we're going to do. And here's what success looks like from an organizational standpoint, if we are taking care of our people's mental health.
So that's just like one very rudimentary example of what that can look like in practice. No, I, I dig it so much. It's, it's the stuff that makes leadership such an amazing thing. It, it makes this, this responsibility and accountability such a fun, but heavy thing. And I think that mm. that is something that, um, we underestimate it's not just about the business objective. It is the objective of just being a good human. So oh, I dig that. And I'm glad that you, I'm sure folks right now are like, let me write down this exact commander's intent behind mental health because. Well, and I, and I came up with a, a mnemonic device, right? Cause again, my brain only has so much. So, so to provide key talent, essential success, to provide key talent, essential success. What's the task? What's the purpose? Um, what are the key tasks and what's the end state? Oh, end state you. meaning what is success. So to provide key talent, essential success, if you can kind of keep that mnemonic device in your mind, you'll remember the four elements. Wow, oh, nailed it. And to provide key talent, essential success. Yeah, that's, um, we got to get some cards and go issue these to folks. <laughs> that's great. I love it. I think it's great. It's just trying to put it into practice, right? I think yeah. sometimes that the difficulty with leadership development is it's so complex and there's so many things and there's so many ideas and there's so many papers and so many books you know, I mean, I love Maxwell's 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. I can't regurgitate them for you. And I don't know which ones I'm putting into practice every day. Right. So how do we, how do we make it easier for people to actually put the simple activities and again, simple, not easy, like as a good qualifier, right? It's simple. Yeah. It's not easy, but, and the same thing with pies and pace. Okay. Just a, just a way or some structure to make sure that I'm bringing that into the conversation with my people. Yeah. Right. Oh, makes it, yeah, makes it very approachable, makes you actually, you'll use it. As we close out, uh, one of the things that I want to ask you through and every guest here is here on the team, you know, we live by our North Star, which is curiosity above judgment, courage above all. It's the things that we use as a framework to make decisions, to treat each other, how we think about things we want to invest in or not questions we ask, asking more questions, just our North Star that guides us and brings us back, especially in those turbulent times. I find that folks like yourself also have something. And I'm curious what your North Star is. You know, if courage and curiosity are like our operative words on, you know, on how we guide our team, I am curious from a value standpoint, you mentioned that earlier or whatever, what is the three to five things that you kind of think through that has guided Mark Richards in his life? Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I, Love your curiosity above judgment, courage above all, and I, I need to come up with my um, phrase. Um, but the, the very quick story is I left active duty Army 12 years ago um, and just struggled with my transition um, in a, in, because my identity, I had a new identity. I had lost my identity. And so I was, I was going to therapy at the VA and had a phenomenal guy to work with who asked me a really great question of like, well, hey, Mark, what are your values? And I said, well, that's that's easy, you know, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honesty, integrity, and personal courage. And for those of you that don't know, that like that's the seven army values. Those are not my values, right? And he, and he called me on that. He's like, no, 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 those are the army's values. What are your values? And I had never been asked that question, nor have I ever had to think about it. And he's like, well, that's something that maybe we should work on. And so I, you know, I reached out to mentors, I reached out to a coach and, and had to do some work for myself to say, okay, you know, what's in my checkbook? How am I spending my time? You know, what is rewarding to me about my job? And it, and it came down to my four values of, you know, the first one is service. You know, there's something that drew me into the uniform and there's something I still want to be doing from a service standpoint when I'm out of uniform, whether it's serving 
family, community, my team, um, volunteering or whatever. Like I want to make sure I'm still in, a, in an active service. Um, the other one was growth. You know, like I was never a great student, an awesome student. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, somebody shared with me, you know, you're either green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. So how do I listen to podcasts? How do I talk to smart people? How do I, you know, work on myself and, and continue to work away at the, the polishes at the edges that need to be polished. Um, another one is gratitude. Um, I, I think people that go into service, they, they lost people or they lost things um, during deployments. Um, and I have a responsibility to be grateful every day for what I have, no matter how much I'm struggling, no matter how much I'm frustrated, no matter how much I have a black dog day. Um, I'm grateful. I've got a healthy family and I've got a roof over my head and, and I get to, you know, do a lot of things that a lot of other people don't get to do. And I, and I make sure to keep gratitude at the forefront. And then finally is respect, respect for our environment, respect for other people's ideas and opinions, respect for, um, my family, respect for people's time, right? Like that is an important thing that I don't ever want to lose sight of that everybody's going through something and, you know, you never know what it is. So how do you respect their situation? And um, So those are my four values that I, I, I try to live by. I do my best. I feel like it aligns with kind of the work I enjoy doing and the time I want to be spending on this planet. Mark Richards, thank you so much. That's awesome. Thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. It's been incredible having you on and I can imagine what we'll do. I'm serious. I think we'll need to do a part two. You got such a wealth of knowledge in there that we, I feel like we only got a little tip of the iceberg there that I know will be helpful to our listeners. So for those that are listening out there, stay tuned. There's probably a high likelihood that we have Mark Richards back on, but thank you so much for your time. It was great catching up. Thanks, Joe. Have a great day. Well, thank you all for listening. This is the Professionally Offensive Podcast. You can catch us on all platforms. JC out.